My name is Keith Beavers, and look, I understand. I grew up in the era. Rhythm Nation is an incredible album. When it comes to Janet Jackson's catalog, I gotta go with Demita Joe, guys. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair, and how are you doing? You doing well? Good. What is it about a wine when it peaks? Have you guys heard about this? Like, hey, when does this wine peak? Or this wine peaks in? Or drink this wine then? What does it all mean? It doesn't matter. Let's get into it. Let's understand it. It's time. Let's do it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Louis M. Martini Winery, where an 85-year legacy of making Cabernet Sauvignon is still going strong. Everything Cabernet Sauvignon is celebrated at Martini, the history, the winemaking, the wine. Visit the Martini tasting room and sip a cab inside, outside in a cabana, or underground in a cellar. Or try a full culinary exploration from the in-house chef. I'll be there. The people at Louis M. Martini Winery are serious about cab. Taste it and you'll know why cab is king. Okay, wine lovers, before we get started, I want to let you guys know that in a few weeks, we have a listener episode coming up. So if you guys have any, I know, look, I understand. You listen to Wine 101. You're like totally informed. Your knowledge level about wine is kind of sky high. I get it. But is there something that I haven't talked about that you're like, why doesn't Keith ever... Or are you like arguing with somebody about some aspect of wine? I don't know. So if you have a question that you would like me to answer on this podcast, on the listener episode coming out in a few weeks, go ahead and hit me up on my DMs at VinePairKeith on Instagram, and we'll see if we can get a question answered on that episode. Okay. You ever read a wine review? Not all of them, but some of them, where at the end of the review, they'll say, drink now, well, drink between now and 2028 or 2030 or something like that. What does that mean? Does it mean that at that moment of the of the of the review from that moment until 2030 at some point in 2030 that wine will no longer be drinkable? No. That's not how it works. What that reviewer is saying is that at 2030, the year 2030, and we're just going to keep on using this year as an example, that wine will be at its peak. It will be at its full maturity. So what does it mean when a wine peaks? What does it mean when a wine has hit full maturity? This is a very interesting subject in, in, in wine. And it is exclusive to what the industry calls, quote unquote, fine wine. All that means is wine that was built to age. Wine that will eventually be very expensive. And as I've said before, there are not a lot of wines in the world that are age-worthy. There are only a small list of wines. The majority of the wines that we consume are made for right now. Young, vibrant wines that are not necessarily made to age, but are ready for a Tuesday night or a weekend on the porch. On the porch? Do you guys drink wine on the porch? I think you know what I'm talking about. Just like laid back and having fun. Casual, right? When a wine is built to age... This is when soil, meso, macro, and microclimates, dinoral fluctuations of wind and breeze, vintage, vine age, phenolic ripeness, 
bricks levels, all this stuff is very, very important because the person that's going to make a wine that's built to age is going to scrutinize every single one of those aspects because though every little step builds something that's going to last for a very long time in a bottle and if or a barrel then in a bottle and even then however many years until it's opened. Now I want to touch upon some of the stuff that happens inside of a bottle, but um, episode 10 in season one is all about how wines age and which wines age and which wines don't. So if you want a full foundation, foundation, <laughs> fundamental knowledge of this, go ahead and check that episode out. Bordeaux, Barolo, Barbaresco, um, Brunello di Montalcino, some Burgundy, Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. We know about these wines because even if you're not into wine, you know you hear these like, oh, okay, yeah, Bordeaux, Napa, I get that. Because these wines, well, they're famous because they're expensive, but they're expensive because they age forever, and they age forever because they were built to do so. They're, they're part of why wine is so beautiful and wonderful. They're part of how we just remain fascinated with wine and how it does this magic in the bottle. And what's unique about this style of wine, I mean, this, this fine wine, this age-worthy wine, is they're, you, literally, if you were to open one of these wines when they weren't ready, you would know immediately that the wine was not ready. It had more work to do. Inside that bottle, mysteriously enough, had more work to do. Inside a bottle, a wine will change its texture. It will, it will transform its aroma profile. It will change its entire personality over time. But like anything in wine, it takes time. That's why we always say in the wine industry that, that you know, wine is a living thing. Once the wine goes into the bottle, it's not the end. It's kind of, and maybe not the beginning, but it is a beginning. Like the Wheel of Time. Anyway, a little Robert Jordan reference there for all you Wheel of Time fans. It is a beginning in that once that wine is in a new vessel and it has a different surface area and it has a smaller space to interact with itself, the phenolics, the organic compounds inside that wine continue to interact with each other over and over and over again and slowly but surely starts to change. But there are stages of a fine wine in its journey to maturity. And I'm going to talk, let's talk about those, those stages or phases. And then we'll get into this idea of maturity and peaking and what that's all about. When an age worthy wine is very young, it is as juicy and vibrant as any youthful young wine to drink on a Tuesday. I've had some wines come straight out of the vat. I've tasted new wines about to go into barrel and all this. And there is a vibrancy. It's like a all of the stuff that was that was focused on hasn't happened yet because nature hasn't had a chance to do that. So these very young, juicy wines, but they're not ready. And I love what Jedi wine master Jancis Robinson says in the Oxford Wine Companion about how a wine ages. Because after it comes out of this sort of juicy, youthful, vibrant stage, she says at some unpredictable time between a few months and a few years. That's 
that's there it is. There's that mystery. Nobody really knows. But at some point, that playful, juicy, awesome closes up and gets angry. Wine just shuts down. It doesn't really have any fruit aroma. It's all tannin. It's all dimension. It's no character. It's just like, I'm not ready. And this is actually one of the reasons why a lot of wines in Europe, the laws around these age-worthy wines in Europe are that the wines have to sit in the winery for a certain, whether it's in the barrel or in a bottle for a certain amount of time for them to kind of come into themselves before they release onto the market. Because if you release, release a wine like this onto the market, no one's going to enjoy it unless they know that they're buying wine not to open for months and months and months, which that's just not going to happen on a large, wide market. So this is why places like, for example, Brunello di Montalcino must be aged a minimum of four years including two years in barrel and four months in the bottle. So what they're saying is they've been making wine long enough in Montalcino with Brunello, we'll talk about that in the other in the episode coming up, that they know that the wine has to rest for that amount of time before it can even be released into the market to give you some sort of like aroma and profile. And sometimes winemakers will think, you know what, I think it needs even more time and then as laws are, um, were <laughs> developed throughout Europe, especially in Italy, there is a concept of the riserva or the reserve where winemakers let the wine sit for even longer before they release it onto the market. And to stick with the Brunello di Montalcino example, if you want to do a riserva or a reserve of Brunello di Montalcino, it must be aged for five years minimum. Again, it's all minimum. You can do whatever you want after that including two years in the barrel and six months in the bottle. But I got to say, wine lovers, I have had a lot of Brunello di Montalcino in my life because having an Italian restaurant, you're surrounded by it a lot. I've, I have tasted Brunello di Montalcino released when it should be released, and the wine still isn't ready. The tannins are still way too harsh. You can smell some fruit, but it still needs more time. Wine is crazy like that. But over time, as the wine interacts with itself, it starts to reduce itself. This is all in the age-worthy or the aging episode. And as that happens, it begins to enter another stage. That sort of closed-up stage, it slowly but surely starts to kind of settle itself. And you start to get really what the wine wants to show you. But maybe not all of it. When you're when you're when I'm writing wine reviews sometimes of these sort of age-worthy wines, um, what I'll say is things like drinking well now but could still be aged for another X amount of years. Because wine is so variable from all around the world, whether it's Bordeaux, I mean we're talking about age-worthy wines here, whether it's Bordeaux, uh, you know, Napa, Brunello, Montalcino, Barolo, or something like that, even though it's ready for market and drinkable, you can still tell on the palate that it's still it has more uh Molting, <laughs> I'm not going to say molting, that's bad. Shedding, no, that's not bad. Shedding, jeez, Keith. It has more reducing to do. I'll just use a real wine term. It has to reduce itself more. It's not done yet, but it still has that wine vibe that it wants to give you. It hasn't peaked yet. Uh-oh, put a pin in that. What's really happening here is all of the organic material, 
all these multiple, many, many different little constituents that make up wine, mostly the organic stuff, phenolics, tannins, and stuff like that, continue to interact with each other. And that interaction, they some of them actually bind together. And that binding creates weight. And then that weight turns into what will be sediment and falls to the bottom of the, of the bottle. What's happening here, like I said, the wine is reducing itself. It, it, it's almost like I said, I didn't want to say shedding, but it does kind of, it's like shedding its younger self and showing us something different. I mean, it's more, it's science, really. But when this stuff happens, the harshness, the structural tannic stuff, tannin becomes a frame or almost sometimes melts away more than it is sort of center stage. And the color of the wine begins to change, whether it's white or red. Red kind of goes a little bit brickish around the edges, and white tends to brown a little bit more. What's happening inside that bottle is it's getting to a point where there's this word called hydrolysis, where all those flavor precursors that gave us the original primary esters of just fun fruit aromas, they're attached to something called glucose. Now, over time, the hydrolysis means that it just it soaks and soaks and soaks until they detach from the glucose and become something else. And what this can do, I mean, a lot of stuff is happening right now, but what's what's really what I'm really trying to say here is the wine is taking on a completely different aroma profile. The and texture profile, textural profile. The tannins have melted away a little bit. It's a little bit more acidic. The fruit, punchy fruit flavors are gone. And now you've entered into this new level of aromas, which we call tertiary aromas, which are they considered also, people consider them a little more sophisticated because sometimes the aromas are more on the savory side and they remind people more of like truffles or if there was a cherry aroma, then it becomes cherry bark. A little more subtle, a little more sophisticated. And this is where we, a wine doesn't become, when you smell a wine and you're, it's the nose of a wine, at this point, it's no longer the nose. The industry calls it the bouquet because there's so much more to enjoy. And for white wines, as they subtly brown, they take on uh, more uh, denser aromas like of butterscotch or caramel, sometimes even salted caramel because it's saline can be there for a long time. But it's right here where everything in that bottle is in its Goldilocks spot. Everything is just right. That wine has been in that bottle for a certain amount of time, and it was in the cellar and the barrel for a certain amount of time. And right here, right now, when you pop that bottle, it is at its full maturity. It is the apex of what this wine should be. And that's why people say it peaks because it is right that after this moment, it's going to change and go a different way. But right now and right here, it's perfect. But here's the catcher. No one knows when that is. There is predictions. If wine, like I said, if winemakers have been making wine for a very long time in one place with vineyards, one vineyard, they're going to know when their wines peak. They're going to give you an idea. There's going to be a very good window, a very tight window of when they think the wine's going to peak. But then wine gets distributed throughout the world. 
and wine gets it changes. It's in different environments once it leaves the winery. So anything could really happen. You never really know when a wine is going to peak. But here's the good news. Wine peaking is not a hundred. It's not the thing you. I mean, yes, it's something you would want, but it's not the. It's not how you enjoy age-worthy wine. It doesn't have to be, I should say, because before a wine peaks, it's still delicious, and after a wine peaks, it can still be delicious. Now, I must say that after a wine peaks, and all that means is after all those organic compounds have done their job and the wine has gained weight and shed that sediment to the bottom of the, bar- of the barrel, of the bottle, right there, it's never going to get that back. That sediment will never go back into the wine. So after a wine, quote unquote, peaks, it starts to reduce even more. Wine continues to reduce and reduce and reduce until it turns into either vinegar or what we sometimes call the gray stage, where it's just like it, the fruit is gone and there's no complexity. Because what's happening is alcohol will always be there. Acidity will always be there. But all the organic material will continue to interact with each other, gain weight, and either dissolve into the liquid or fall to the bottom of the wine. So after a very long time, even in the most age-worthy wines, they're just gone. They're musty, they're weird, they have no fruit character, they're just gone. And that's the thing about old wine. I once had experienced this once. Somebody came to me with a very old red burgundy. It was from 1947. I was initially very excited because like, wow, let's taste a very old wine. It didn't taste like wine. It just tasted like musty grape water. It was a very expensive, very famous, well-known Burgundy. And here I am sipping it and it's gone. So at some point, that Pinot Noir, that Burgundian wine, red wine, it peaked and it was at the height of its organic full maturity. But then... It wasn't sold, and it moved. Pro- it probably moved around an auction house, probably moved around a little bit. And over time, it just kept on reducing it's to the point where when we sipped it, it was gone. Now, I also at one point had a very old red wine, but it wasn't from the 1940s. It was from the 1970s, and it was a Barolo. And, I, oh, my God, it was un believable. It's one of those moments where whether you're in wine or whether you're not into wine or, in, or if you're not in the industry, it doesn't matter. When you put a wine like this on your palate that's at its peak or it's right near its peak and you can feel it, it's undeniable. I don't care like where you are in your wine journey. You're, if, you, if you smell a wine at its peak, it's, it's, gonna, it's, it's amazing. But that's what peaking is. It is this idea that at some point that wine in that bottle is going to reduce to the point where it's perfect and then it's going to keep on reducing and you have to find that moment in time to drink it when it's perfect. But none of us know when that is with any wine. Even if the winemaker tells you or some expert tells you, you'll never know. And that's the beauty of wine. It's inconsistency. That's why at this level of age-worthy wine, the vintage is very, very important. Because that's how you know where the wine is, a general idea of where the wine is in its maturity. 
Okay, so I hope I helped you guys understand this whole peaking full maturity thing now because it's going to happen a lot. You're going to see it a lot out there. But now you know what's actually happening and you now you know, you know, you don't have to be like obsessed about it. You can be. I sometimes am, but you don't have to. I'll talk to you next week. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pair's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers. Visit BarrelRoom.com today to find your next favorite where shipping is available.